Hello and welcome to the After Sermon Podcast, where we look at a Bible topic, character, or concept. And today we're learning about how to create meaningful relationships with people as we study the sermon, Lonely Missionaries. to you ladies and gentlemen out there. Today we have a very special guest uh, joining us in the studio. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Benjamin Lowe and I am studying to be a pastor. I'm actually graduating at the end of this year, which is really cool. I'm nice. looking forward to that. And um, yeah, keen to be here. Awesome. Now, awesome. Uh, ben, one of the reasons I brought you in here was because the podcast and uh, Mighty Warrior Ministries were, were an online platform. We're putting out um, some digital content out there. Yeah. And recently you've taken uh, the initiative to also do something like that as well. Would you like to tell us a bit about what you're doing? Yeah, so sort of uh, at the end of last year, um, I was really looking around on YouTube for people that would post like devotional mm. you know, content, daily devotional content that I can look at. I can watch to sort of kickstart my day to to get me started on the right foot, um, you know, connected with God. Because I was working, you know, th- over the summer. And yeah. So I didn't have a lot of time to actually do my own devotionals. Mm. So I was like, why is somebody not doing this? Couldn't find anybody posting daily, uh, you know, Christian material mm. on YouTube. And so I thought, well, I'll take it upon myself to do that. So, yeah, about a month ago, we started the channel called Daily Christian. Um, and, yeah, we just post every weekday devotional videos awesome Mm. all right well guys make sure to check out uh ben's channel i know i'm subscribed i get them every morning and i uh, it's good i use it for my devotions as well which is awesome and uh i'll probably put a link below in the description for you guys to check out ben's channel so lots of good stuff to check out there make sure do yourself a favor and look at it (laughs) (laughs) all right well um uh, ben quickly also while i've got you here i thought i might just ask like in a minute or two which i know can be a bit difficult sometimes Mm. Um, could you maybe tell our listeners how you came into a relationship with God, like how you are where you are today, maybe in a minute or two? Yeah, that is quite hard to get it into yeah. this <laughs> time frame. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I grew up, you know, a Christian. I grew up in the church, um, going to church every every weekend. And, um, you know, I was quite, as a kid, I was, I was really, I was into it. Mm. You know, I was into the church thing. And I guess... It's normal as you become a teenager, um, you sort of, you start to experiment with different things. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you get a bit rebellious. But I never really strayed away from it too mm. far. Um, the thing that I did do was I knew that when I was about 15, I knew that God had called me to ministry. Mm. And that's not what I wanted to do in my life. I grew up um, in a farming community. My parents were farmers, grandparents were farmers, great-grandparents were farmers. That was what we did. Yeah. And so that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I did run away for a long time from, you know, the call that I knew that God had placed on my life. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's quite an interesting story how he got me here and like the way that, um, you know, he worked 
in my life yeah to make that happen a bit of a jonah story yep all right guys well again make sure to stick around for that but let's get into our quick recap so we can start our discussion the loneliest whale in the world calls out at 52 hertz Now, the reason it's so lonely is because every single other type of whale species calls out at 15 to 20 hertz. Now, that all sounds very big and scientific, but really it just means that they're calling out on different wavelengths. So, as the lonely whale calls out to talk to other people or other whales, the other whales cannot hear at all anything that he is saying. He is completely alone and he misses out on meaningful relationships and creating a sense of belonging and fulfillment in his life. But in the same way, we as Christians sometimes do the same thing. We sometimes call out to people and try and tell them about God, but we speak to them on terms that they are unable to understand. We are communicating on a completely different wavelength. And the Apostle Paul describes it as this. He says that those who are not spiritual are unable to understand spiritual things. It looks foolish to them. And so Paul adopts a new type of ministry in which he says, because those people are unable to understand what I'm trying to communicate, I'm going to speak to them in their context so that they can understand. Paul says, To the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Gentile, I became a Gentile. I became whatever I needed in order to bring more people to Christ. And so then we looked at three simple ways in which we can speak to people in their context. The first is simply to use their language. Don't use big words and big theological terms that they would be unfamiliar with. It'll go right over their head and it makes them feel isolated. Make sure to speak in the terms that they are used to. Second of all, don't treat them as an other. This is something that the Apostle Peter had to learn. He viewed everyone as either Jews, which were the in-group, or the Gentiles, which were the others. But God had to teach him not to view anyone as an other, that, that everyone was special to God and all needed this message. Third of all, Make sure not to judge, but to love instead. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he loved people first, and through his love and showing good, righteous living, the people he was ministering to changed of their own accord as they felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. So if we can put these three things into practice, we can effectively reach people and make sure that we are not lonely missionaries, but missionaries who create meaningful relationships and connections with people and create a sense of belonging for others in need. Okay, well, let's quickly go uh, and just share, I suppose, our reflections. Ben, um, what were some of your, I suppose, personal takeaways from this message? Mm. Well, I guess, like, it's just a really sad story of the whale. Yeah, it is, isn't it? (laughs) you got this whale that's in the ocean. The ocean is so vast um, Mm. that they need to be able to communicate to to meet up and, you know, to have relationships, like you say, to connect with each other. But this whale is speaking 
you know, in the wrong language, yep. in a sense. It, it's trying to communicate. And the other whales can't hear it, but it doesn't even realize. Mm. Like, it has no idea that it's it's not getting its message through. Yeah. And I feel like, like you say, and you made the connection, you know, that is the way that we can be. But sometimes we don't even realize it. That's true. We don't yeah. even realize, like, how much we are putting people offside, how much we're confusing people. Mm. Um, because a lot of us, I mean, not all of us, but a lot of us, we grow up in the church and, and we just we become like acclimatized to this language yeah. that we speak church it, language yeah it's our culture that we grow up in yeah 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 and it's so confusing to people um and if you if you put yourself in i i don't want to use the word outsider but um how about someone looking in yeah if you put yourself in the shoes of someone looking in you you just in, and you really think about it, all these terms that they use. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we have no idea. Yep, that's you know, right. We don't get it. So yeah. I think it's saying that we really need to be intentional about mm. you know, changing the way that we try. It's not about conforming to culture and the, the culture around us. Yeah. But it is about, um, I guess, yeah, not conforming but adapting. Mm. So being able to speak into that culture um, and become as much like that culture as you can mm. without compromising on any of your values. Yeah. yeah. And ultimately, you're trying to make the gospel accessible, isn't it? It's, yeah. You're trying to make it as accessible to everyone as possible because I really love what Paul says. I become all things to all people that I might even... I think he says, just win a few. Just even if I get a few, it'll be worth yeah. it just to yeah. make it that bit more accessible. Mm. Well, let's go right into our discussion, the uh, cutting room floor. Uh, where we're going to look at all the bits that didn't quite make it into the sermon, but we're going to get to discuss them now. So, first of all, I want to talk about how God models this principle for us. I love how God doesn't ever expect us to do things that he hasn't first already gone and done. You know, that's a sign mm. of a good leader. And so, God, throughout the whole Bible, he speaks into people's context and their culture and their time. He he doesn't, he doesn't yeah, he doesn't go above and beyond what they're used to. So... Uh, the first example we're going to look at is, in fact, the story we've already mentioned, that of Jonah. So, um, Ben, would you like to give just like a quick 30-second recap of what the story of Jonah is for our listeners? Yeah, of course. So Jonah was a prophet um, in the Old Testament, and God came to him and he said, Jonah, I need you to go and preach to the city, Nineveh, mm. very, very wicked city. Um, and some of the things that they did in Nineveh were just horrendous. So, of course, Jonah was... A little bit scared to go there um, and we find out a bit later in the story maybe some of the real reasons maybe it wasn't that he was scared of the people but he was scared that God would forgive them and he'd look like a fool <laughs> but anyway um, you know God says Jonah go go to Nineveh tell them that the city will be destroyed in 40 days if they don't repent and Jonah was like no I'm not going to yeah. do that so he gets on a boat um, and in heading in the opposite direction heading towards Spain I think it was mm. um and anyway, God's like, look, I can't let this happen. My servant is rebelling and that's not what we need. So he whips up a big storm and the the people on the boat, very superstitious people yeah. that Jonah is with. And they're like, well, someone's you know brought this upon us by disobedience to one of the gods. They weren't, you know, monotheists. So mm. one of the gods. Um, and anyway, they cast lots and Jonah drew the lot 
so they threw him overboard. It's pretty funny how God still works through yeah, that whole it is. You know, situation that the lot fell on Jonah. And yeah, he got swallowed by a fish, which is a pretty um, interesting way. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, God prepared the fish for him. And he was in the fish for three days, three nights, till he, uh, you know, he prayed, he repented. Um, God took care of him. Yeah, God yeah. God took care of him. He spat him back out onto the shore. And, um, yeah, Jonah marches into Nineveh, preaches. Mm. God forgives the city. Jonah's not happy about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really funny because he's like, I knew you'd do this, God. I, like, I look like a fool now. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So Jonah's a, a really interesting story because it's this guy who really doesn't want to be a prophet, but God keeps telling him, like, you really need to go do this. Yeah, now, yeah. What's interesting is that God uses... Even Jonah's mistakes, as you said, mm. for good. Um, so when Jonah gets thrown overboard in this ship, God sends, yeah, this big fish to come and swallow him up. Mm. And then it says the the fish comes up onto the shores and, you know, vomits uh, Jonah back up. And what we often don't realize is that would have been very, very significant for the people of Nineveh. Mm. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of the nation Assyria. And one of the, the main gods of Assyria, and definitely of Nineveh, that we can tell from archaeology and historical records, um, they worshipped Dagon, who was the fish god. <laughs> if you ever look at the statue, he, his top half is like a regular guy, and then his bottom half is just like a big like mermaid. He looks like a mermaid, basically. <laughs> so he's Dagon the fish god. And so you can imagine that, you know, he you're you're at the beach one day and this giant fish comes out and then vomits up this guy. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, how's this guy even alive? Yeah, you know? Yeah. And um, even some people have like suggested that maybe like being in digestive juices for three days is probably going to do something to your complexion. You're, you're going to be a bit messed up from that. <laughs> so maybe Joan even looked a bit different and... Um, probably smelled pretty bad. He smelled well. rank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so here he comes out of this fish. And what do you think in the minds of these, these people who worship the fish god, what are they going to be thinking? Well, this is obviously a messenger from Dagon, the fish god. Mm. Uh, and so Jonah comes in, he preaches his message, and he says, it's going to be destroyed unless you repent. And everyone's like, well, we better obey this. This is the messenger of the fish god. This is Dagon. And um, isn't it interesting, though, that God, he he really wanted these people to repent so much. He was, he was willing to even, you know, speak into their culture mm. and speak into even their religion, even though it was a false religion. He was willing to speak into it through Jonah, through Jonah's mistakes, in order to get them to repent and in order to get them to progress in their spirituality and morality, which I think is really incredible. Mm. Yeah. Um, and he does that again in the, the book of Exodus. If you read like each of the ten plagues, um, they're specifically uh, against, I suppose, one of the Egyptian gods. So, for example... There's darkness for three days, is it? I think so. Yep, yep. Three days. That's basically God saying, hey, psst, where's uh, Ra, God of the sun, nowadays? You know, yeah. like, where's he at? Yeah. And you have the God of the Nile, which um, God turned it to blood, and all these different things, the, the frogs, the gnats, the, the hail, all these things. There were specific Egyptian gods for all of them. Hmm. Um, and in effect, what God is saying is, 
I'm more powerful than these false gods that you have. Like, yeah. uh, I'm a lot more powerful. And he's actually, we often read it and it's like, oh, this is just some intense judgment and stuff. But it's actually God pleading with the Egyptians to an extent. He's actually trying to get the Egyptians to realize that their gods are pretty useless. Mm. They're, they're not that great. And that he is, in fact, the... Um, the true God, and it actually works. Um, yeah, and it's really interesting, you know, throughout um, the Bible, wherever there is judgment, you know, it's not God just destroying people for, for the, the sake, sake of yeah. destroying people. He's always trying to either stop something that bad that's happening to innocent people, yeah, or trying to get people to repent. That's and it. That's, that's what it's about, and it's very similar. You know, you talk about the plagues. He's speaking into their their culture he's you know understands their religion the way that they think mm. and it's not so much to to judge them like you know to bring pain and suffering upon them it's to make them stop and realize oh our gods can't save us we need a god that's bigger a god that's more powerful exactly mm. so ben would you just like to read out for us um in exodus chapter 12 verses 35 through to 38 and we get to see yeah, what, is, what is the result of um, these plagues that are coming. Yeah, sure. Uh, now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they were granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sakoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, and a great deal of livestock. Mm. So the, after the ten plagues, the Israelites, they finally get to leave Egypt. And it tells us they, they, took, they took all this loot and these animals. The Egyptians were giving it to them. Um, and then in verse 38 it says... A mixed multitude leaves. Mm. Well, why is it mixed? Who who are these other people that aren't the Hebrews? Yeah, it's got to be the Egyptians, right? They're the they're in Egypt. <laughs> yeah, and in the first yeah. few in the verses we read, it's all about the Egyptians. So, what a lot of people probably don't realize is there are probably quite a number of Egyptians who also left in the Exodus. Mm. It wasn't just the Hebrews. Yeah. Um, God's plan actually worked in showing. His power over the Egyptian gods, many of the Egyptian people uh, essentially went, well, okay, our gods aren't doing very much. They're, yeah. not, that, they're not doing what um, we thought they would. The god of the Hebrews is obviously much more powerful, and so they convert and they join the Hebrews, which I think is a really cool detail. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, just another example of God speaking into context, I suppose, is Abraham, um, there's a really peculiar story in Genesis 15, and there's this very strange ritual where, like, there's a there's a sacrifice, and the sacrifice gets cut in half, as oh, you do, yeah. and then it says, like, God in this fire, he walks around and through these two bits of the sacrifice, and you read it, and you just go, what is going on? Like, yeah. <laughs> I got no idea. Yeah. Um, but... Like recent recent studies, we've found out that in the ancient Near East where Abraham was, this was actually a very common tradition. If you ever wanted to create like a covenant or a contract with someone, you would get a lamb and you would cut it up into two. 
And basically the idea was um, I vow to keep this contract with you and if I break it, what has been done to this animal, let it be done to me. Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a vivid image to show like this is how serious I am about keeping this promise to you. And so here God is making the promise to Abraham. I'm going to make, I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to make you a great nation. Mm. And Abraham's thinking, well, you know, uh, how's this going to happen? So God says, all right, um, we'll cut the thing in half. I'll, I'll walk around it. That's how serious I am, yeah. Abraham. And the thing is, yeah. it, it would have made sense to Abraham. Yeah. You know, because we're so far removed from the context, we'll read this. And we'll be like, that's just weird. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who is this God? You know, what, why does he want this animal, this sacrifice cut in half? Like, what is this strange ritual? Exactly. But, you know, I guess to God, that's like, it's a weird thing as well, because it's, it's human culture has come up with this very strange yes. way to sign a contract. Mm. But for God to get through to Abraham, he's like, I'm going to use, mm. I'm going to use that. I'm going to speak I'm going to speak into Abraham's culture to make him get it. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so cool. And I like that point you just made, that, like, probably a lot of the things we do, God's like, oh, that's a bit unusual, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Because, yeah, again, most of these, it's not ever God imposing, uh, if you want to say, his culture, you know, what would that be? Who knows? But, you know, it's not God imposing himself. It's him going, all right, well, this... this, uh, contract things a bit weird but yeah i know it's going to resonate with you abraham so that's what i'll do and so yeah i really like that god himself gives us this this example and so we should do the same even if things look unusual to us you know well, that's a bit of a weird thing yeah. like if it's gonna if it if that's what's going to resonate with the people and really help them understand spiritual concepts then we have no reason to not try yeah and i guess we really just have to kind of think about how would God speak into our culture now? Yeah. You know, if he was going to try and make us a promise, would he um, use the idea of a handshake? Yeah, yeah. Would he use the idea of writing a, a formal contract? Mm. We have to really think about how God would speak into our culture. Um, and then also use that to think about how we're going to you know, convey that message. Yeah, that's right. To other people, yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Well, uh, now we're going to quickly transition into, um, we've been talking a lot about, yeah, meeting the people into that culture, but obviously we want to relate to people as much as possible, uh, but you even mentioned this at the start, we want to do it without compromising our own faith as well, and sometimes it can be difficult to figure out where that line is. A lot of churches, in fact, often struggle over this, they're like, well, I've got a new idea to relate to the culture. And then you'll have someone say, but is that a sinful? And, you know, it's a a very um, hard line to uh, tread sometimes. This one might seem a bit unusual, but I think it's an interesting guiding principle. Um, So let's have a quick read of Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is a... it It might seem a bit unusual at first, but I think it's an interesting principle. Okay, so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we'll just read the first few verses from that chapter. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, <laughs> seven nations greater and mightier than you. 
And then uh, we go down a little bit. It says, Nor shall you make uh, marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people on the face of the earth. Mm. So what are your initial impressions from that verse, do you think? What are you thinking of? Um, I guess there there really is a call to be different. Um, mm. You know, there is a call to live your life differently than the people that know uh, that don't know God. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, like in terms of, you know, not making marriages with them. Um, you know, like trying not to get too close to them. Almost that's what it seems like. Yeah. 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 It's interesting that God, yeah, he gives, like, some rules as to, like, proper boundaries. Mm. Um, And one of them, yeah, is we really want go and teach people and bring them to God, but please don't go and, like, marry them in hopes that they'll (laughs) come to you. And what's – I only bring this up because it's an actual thing that some people uh, do. Uh, It's the old flirt to convert method. And, like, usually people joke about it and we use it in jokes, but – uh, I've heard real stories of people who've tried flirting to convert. Mm. Um, they think, well, I really like this girl or I really like this guy. And oh, they're not Christian, but, you know, I, I'll, I'll get there along the way. It's like, oh, that's very risky. You yeah. know, God God kind of gives these boundaries and he He says, don't intermarry or, you know, let's just don't do it. Don't flirt. Mm. D- don't do it. Don't, <laughs> don't date. Don't flirt. That's where I have the D from, the, the date. Don't date or flirt. Um, that's that's not really an ap- appropriate thing. Have some appropriate boundaries. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it makes it clear, verse 4, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's the fallacy that we often fall into. We, th- we go in thinking, I'll be able to change this person. Mm. But if history has shown us anything, it's that you will always fail. Mm. Um, Solomon, the wisest man in history, he kept taking all these foreign wives... Um, who didn't believe in God, and God kept saying to him, what are you doing, Solomon? This mm. is a bad idea. I've told you not to do this. And yeah. Solomon's like, it's all good, man. You know, I'll bring them to you. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> they all made Solomon uh, commit adultery and offer sacrifices to pagan gods. Solomon fell into the trap, and he was the wisest man in mm. history. If Solomon can't do it... <laughs> You know, we've got no hope. Yeah, and I mean, like, you might be listening, you might think, well, I know somebody that, you know, uh, started dating someone that wasn't a Christian, Yeah. and now they're a Christian, and so what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? And I guess it's just really important to say, well, it might happen, Mm. but it's definitely not the norm. Yeah, it's It's, not the preferred. Yeah, it's not like the 9 out of 10. The 9 out of 10 will compromise the other way. Yeah. They will lose their faith. Um instead of actually bringing the other person to Christ. And then you might think, well, I will be the one that is not going to lose my faith. Mm. Um, You know, one in ten people who drink alcohol Mm. uh, will become an alcoholic eventually. 
Nobody knows if they're going to be that person the first time that they drink. And it's the same. You don't know if you're going to be that person yeah. that goes the other way. Um, you can't say for sure that this person that I love and that I am wanting to date, or this person I like and I'm wanting to date, uh, is going to come to Christ. You can't say that for sure. Mm. Like, you know, the, the odds are stacked against you. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. very. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. I really like that. Um, and the other thing that I really like here is that he says, you're supposed to be different, you know, you're supposed to be holy. Uh, and I think that's a really good point because if you're not different, then how are people ever going to, well, I suppose, realize that there's anything different about you? Mm. Um, tip number three was don't judge love. And through loving, you're still giving these people, hopefully a godly example to look up to and then they begin to think, oh, wow, okay, there are some areas I can prove, not because you're good, but because, you know, God through you is doing that. Mm. But if you are literally the same as everyone else and you say, oh, by the way, have I told you about God? They're going to think, well, how's this going to impact my life? You're just like him mm. and me. There's nothing different about you. It's the, uh, there's another uh, verse where it says, where God says, you're a peculiar people. Mm. You stand out. You're, you're unusual. Um, so, so I guess, sorry, I just want to yeah, ask go for you, it. like in your opinion, mm. sort of how would you navigate that space? You know, um, Paul saying, I've become all things to all people. Yeah. And then God saying, be different. Yeah. Like, yeah. How, do you, how do you navigate <laughs> that space of trying to adapt to the culture mm. so that you can get your message across the same way God did with Abraham, the same way he did yeah. with Nineveh, but at the same time being different? That's a really good question. I think a lot of the time what Paul and the examples that we looked at with God do is they look at the, the cultural, they, they abide by, I suppose, cultural norms um, and customs and traditions. And uh, we'll, we'll look at something next. Um, actually, we'll look, I'll look at this to answer the question, yeah, yeah. Um, which is I think you have to be sensitive to the culture you're in. Um, we've been currently, uh, Ben and I, we're in a class um, where we're learning about how to speak to people in their cultures, actually. This just happens to be good timing. I didn't yeah. even mean for this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that we've been looking at, for example, in some cultures, it's... Um, well, for example, in Western culture, yeah. if you and I are having a conversation, you want to have eye contact. For if, if you see someone's eyes, you know, going here and going there, that means that signals in your head, this person is, are they lying to me? Are they being completely honest with me? It's considered rude to not give eye contact. Whereas in other cultures, um, we found out, you do not look someone in the eye. Yeah. Um, particularly because there's a lot of beliefs about, uh, like, people with these evil eyes, they're able to, you know, with their eye be able to put a bad curse on you or something. There's a lot of, you know, it's a deep, rich history and uh, beliefs that they have that give them this understanding, oh, you don't look people in the eye just in case. So if you and I were to go overseas and be like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus and we're looking someone right in the eye, yeah. that's going to turn them off so yeah. much. Now, is that like a moral issue? Not really, but it's a cultural norm. It's just yeah. something that people are used to. Um, and I want to quickly read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 what... Paul says, uh, this is the same book that he talks all about, I want to be a Jew to the Jew, a Gentile to the Gentiles. Because even there he says, to those under the law, that's the Jews, he said, I acted as I was under the law. I kept all the customs of the Jewish people. 
But when I was those who are not under the law, the Gentiles, he said, well, I didn't hold myself to all those unusual traditions and customs. So, uh, yeah, I'll read this one out for us. In chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, this is important. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Gentiles or to the church of God. Just as I also please men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And I think that's an important distinction. Paul's saying when it comes to the cultural customs, traditions, and just, you know, things that, um, cultural norms, he says, I obey those. I don't want to offend those people. I want to please all men in all things. But when it comes to his morality, his beliefs, he says, that's where I'm not compromising. That's where I can be peculiar and stand out. And that's, I think, I'm not sure if it was Paul, it might have been Peter, who said, um, uh, I'm not interested in pleasing men. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in pleasing God. So yeah. it can seem like a contradiction. You read these verses, just as I also please men in all things. And then the next sentence, I do not want to please men, but please God. And you're like, yeah. whoa, what's going on? But I think what Paul's talking about is meeting people with their cultural norms, but morally standing out, because that then shows people a a new path. And a lot of the time, uh, I think this is what's awesome about Christianity, is that the moral principles of Christianity are not uh, tied to one culture. Mm. They are meant to be transcendent. And so I think that's why we've seen Christianity spread so much, because it's able to adapt into whatever culture it meets into. Uh, Whereas there are other religions, for example, like Hinduism, it's so ingrained in the the Indian culture that it's been basically unable to go to any other country. Mm. I think it's 97% of Hindus are all in India. It just can't escape that country because it's locked into that culture. It can't escape. Uh, Whereas Christianity has that ability to spread. Yeah. Sorry, I talked a lot, my goodness. <laughs> no, but like, I see what you're saying. You want to compromise on issues that aren't moral issues. Yeah, that's it. But at the end of the day, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so for our final topic, what we're going to look at is, yeah, this idea of in being peculiar and not compromising our morals, it actually leads people in the direction of changing their morals while probably if, you know provided it fits with the moral standard, staying within their own culture. It's mm. not forcing people to change their culture, but to change their heart. That's really what we want, isn't it? The change yeah. of the heart. Um, and so, uh, back to Paul. Paul is just a master at yeah. this. <laughs> He's so good. A very good theologian. We have um, this text in Acts 17.30, which I love. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Mm. So there's this idea that God at times is actually willing. Um, sorry, what did that translation say about it was? Truly these times of ignorance, God overlooked. Overlooked, yeah. I've heard another translation that says he winks, like he, he shuts yeah, his shuts eyes. His eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. He's like, oh, not yeah. just, just not going to look at that one. And often we think of God as like, He's just ready to throw the lightning bolt. Yeah, he's waiting to catch us out. Yeah, but here it says that God sometimes will actually turn the other way because he just goes, oh, you guys, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, 
because he understands that we are we're finite we are very much a product of our culture and our time and the place we're born and so sometimes he just says look i'm going to give you a free pass on this one because you don't know any better yeah and i think that's really fair that god judges us on what we know he but judges us only on the knowledge that we have yeah so if we don't know that we're doing a bad thing god's not gonna be like well sorry ben you did this 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 and this and you go I, thought, I didn't know that was bad. He's like, sorry, them's the rules, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's a good judge. And he says, well, you clearly didn't know it. So I'm not going to hold you, you know, accountable for that. Mm. But he doesn't leave us there, you know. Yes. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooks, but now he commands all men to repent. Mm. So he, you know, he doesn't leave us in this state of ignorance. Uh, he, you know, when we get more more light, more information on the subject, God expects us, you know, to grow. Yes. And I just really like the way it kind of, it seems from the text, you would assume that, you know, God is really all about that process of journeying with us. Yes. Growing with us. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love that so much. Because, um, yeah, even when you look at like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and stuff, sometimes people say, well, some of these laws seem a bit archaic. Why did God endorse this? Mm. And it's not a fact of God endorsing it. It's just... God at the time was looking at his people and he went, you guys aren't ready for this. Yeah. You're just not ready. But equally, you can look at so many times where God gives some laws that are very progressive and very much challenge them. And he goes, you're ready for this level of spiritual maturity now. You're ready to develop your morality. Um, I mean, it took us, uh, I don't know, what, like 200, 300 years to figure out slavery isn't Mm. a good idea. Yeah. But... How much more meaningful is it that we as a race, uh, as the human race, have come to it of our own conclusion? Yeah. We've all come to this and agreed, okay, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's an example. If, if you have slaves today, God is not going to wink at your ignorance, yeah. largely. Because he's like, you know better now. Yeah. You, I, I, you guys know a lot better. You know, these people 4,000 years ago, this is just they weren't doing a good thing at all they were doing a terrible thing but god's like oh you guys are just you're not ready yet yeah yeah we're ready (laughs) yeah we shouldn't be doing that anymore exactly um i lost my train of thought i was gonna go somewhere (laughs) i guess one thing that's really important to remember when it comes to issues of morality Mm. is you know jesus was preaching one day and one of the teachers of the law, very high up teacher of the law, comes yeah. to him and he says, okay, he's trying to catch him out. He says, which one is the most important of the laws? Hmm. And Jesus says, you know, love your God with all your mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. And so when we're, you know, with slavery, um, maybe back in the day it took us a while to get to that stage of, okay, is slavery right or wrong? Because... People were trying to find in the Bible, where does it talk about slavery being right or wrong? Mm. When you think about it more broadly, is slavery loving? Is it loving to my neighbor? You know, is it loving to God because God created these people and he loves those people? Yeah. Um, Just the same way that he loves me, even though I'm their master sort of thing. Mm. You know, even though they're my slaves, he loves us the same. Mm. So no, it's not loving. And when we think about it like that, it really helps us with issues of morality because you can think about them all in terms of, okay, does it show love to God? Does it show love to my neighbor? Mm. I guess even a little bit more than that, Paul talks about our bodies being the temple 
yes. uh, of God? Does it show love to myself? Yeah. What about things that are harmful to myself? Um, and I, I like to think of moral issues that way mm. because it puts everything into perspective and you don't come to an issue, um, you know, whatever it might be, and go to the Bible and say, okay, where does it talk about this? Because the Bible doesn't talk about all the issues no, that we yeah. have now or today. Where does the Bible talk about, you know, smoking marijuana? Yeah. Because it wasn't a thing. So, um, you know, you won't find anything in the Bible, but then you can say, okay, does this show love to God? Does this show love to me? Mm. Does it show love to my neighbor? And it, it changes your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way. Like, and it's so simple, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's not difficult. It's not like this big, like, yeah, you know, debate that you have to have in your mind. It's just love God, love other people, love the body that God has entrusted me to take care yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's um, a really good principle to go by. And I think as we live by those principles, people are going to notice. Yeah. Because if we think about it, a lot of the time people aren't doing those things. We do a lot of things um, that aren't loving to our neighbors. Yeah, exactly. And so when we follow a command as radical as what Jesus says that says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, people notice that. Yeah. They go... Whoa, 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 whoa. This guy hates your guts. Why are you so loving to him? That's just what I do, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, that's what really convicts people. That's what changes people. Not like, hey, uh, I really disagree with what you're doing here. Yeah. No one wants to hear that. <laughs> like, and it may be that they are doing the wrong thing, but mm. it's, it's an ineffective way of communicating. And maybe that's, you know, what we're talking about. God calls us to be different. Mm. Maybe that's because God calls us to be loving. You know, Jesus Ooh. said, in this way, men will know you're my disciples because you love one another. Yes. Maybe, and I think 100%, that is the difference. When God calls us to be a peculiar people, mm. it's because, you know, you had the in the time the heathens yep. that were, you know, and I say that in quotations, yeah, the heathens yeah. that were, <laughs> were like, you know, sacrificing their children to idols and stuff. Yeah. And God says, no, I need you to be different because you will be loving. That's mm. so you're not going to do those kind of things because that doesn't show love to anybody. Yeah, and I think that's that's the difference that we're called to have. Yeah, is that we love one another. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, the final verse that we're going to read is Philippians chapter two, and I thought the best example that we can end on really is Jesus. How did Jesus demonstrate this idea of speaking into people's contexts? exemplifying those principles of love God, love your neighbor, love your body, and um, and being peculiar in that way by, by respecting God, by loving your enemies, and by being a good steward of the body that God has given you. How did Jesus really exemplify that? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the point of death on the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm. 
I reckon that's one of my favorite passages. Yeah. Jesus is so willing to come down to our level. He will even give up his life for us. Mm. Uh, Jesus, he he came down to humanity. He ate. He drank. He had he had friends. You know, he he slept like a normal human being. He did everything mm. that a human does, and he was the God of the universe who created us. Yeah. And one of the things that always baffles me is. You know, in the Garden of Eden, you see Jesus, he forms man out of the dust. Like, God himself gets his hands dirty in the dust, and he creates humanity. And then Jesus comes down, and at the Last Supper, once again, he bends down, and he gets his hands dirty as he washes his disciples' Mm. feet. He humbles himself as a servant. And then here it says, even unto death, Mm. when you go to the cross, the very hands that created humanity... And that washed the feet of his disciples and now pierced on the cross for mm. our sins. Yeah. That's just how humble Jesus was. And it shows how loving he is and how desperately he wants to get us with him. Yeah. He's so willing to speak into our culture and come down to our level to bring us to be with him. Yeah. And so my appeal to our listeners um, today is that Jesus has literally done everything he can to save you. And no greater act of love has ever been shown in the history of the world. This is the greatest act of love that anyone has ever given. I know that myself and Ben, we've accepted that sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. And we've accepted that promise of eternal life. And maybe you haven't made that uh, decision yet. Or maybe you would like to recommit to that decision. And if that's something that you would like to do, I'd encourage you just to privately pray. It's simple, just in simple words. Say to God, God, thank you for what you've done, and I accept what Jesus has done for me. And it's really as simple as that. Yeah, it's that easy. Yeah, so Chris, do you have any recommended readings for listeners? Yeah, sure. So uh, today I'm going to recommend uh, Mission Shift by Cale Dewar. This is one of our lecturers we have here at college, uh, and we've had to study this book for um, some units, but it's a really good book that talks about how to take an approach that speaks to people in their culture, and really what I love is it's biblical, it follows the examples of Paul, of Jesus, and Peter, um, the people that we discussed here, but... In a, in a very different way, looking at how, as a church body, we're able to do this. We looked more individually. Yeah. This will give you a broader look at how, as a church community, we can um, speak into people's cultures. All right, Ben, so uh, where can these good listeners find you on the internet? Yep, so if you go to YouTube, um, you type in Daily Christian. Um, so two words, Daily Space Christian, just into your search bar. Uh, you'll come up um, there hopefully my site will come up at the top but you may have to scroll down a little bit you'll see it's called just called daily christian there's a picture of me in a shirt that says here to help because um yeah i like that shirt yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) got glasses um and yeah subscribe to the channel if you're interested in getting notifications every day for devotionals yep And there'll probably be a link down below as well, just to make your life that much easier. (laughs) And of course, you can find me here every month on the After Sermon Podcast, as well as on MightyWarryMinistries.com, where we've got lots of articles, we've got 
uh, some Bible studies to help you get to know God better. We've got everything there on that website. So make sure to go check it out. And uh, yeah, look, we hope that you've been blessed as we've discussed how to create meaningful relationships with people. Make sure to come back in a month for the next episode. And with that said, have a good one and good night.